0: Hayden Donnell joins us in the Auckland studio for Midweek Media Watch. Kia ora Hayden.
1: Kia ora, Karen.
0: Haven't spoken to you for quite some time.
1: No, I've been away trying to complete uh, some, some tasks Feature that I'm writing.
0: Oh, tell us more or not? We'll wait till it comes out. It's
1: about urban planning. It's for New Zealand Geographic, and it'll be out in probably four months' time or so. So, uh, so <laughs> I mean, don't don't set your alarm clock just yet.
0: That's a lengthy time. It is. Do you want to start off about uh, talking about an academic paper that, in your opinion, is not exactly rigorous. So, where, where was it published?
1: Yeah, so it was published in the Oxford Research Encyclopedias, so anyone browsing the net for information on New Zealand independent media, as I'm wont to do on a Friday evening, they would have found this paper and hit on some interesting facts. The problem with it is that it gets a whole bunch of stuff wrong. Really? What does it get wrong? seems basic factual errors. It says uh, most of New Zealand's provincial papers are owned by Fairfax and APN. It claims Stuff is owned by Nine and NZME is owned by ARN, Australian Radio Network. The spin-off is named the nation's most popular blog with the title of second most popular truly independent blog. That's a quote uh, going to Happy Mum, Happy Child. Now, you may recognise a lot of these facts as false. Neither Fairfax or APN actually operate in New Zealand anymore. Nine sold stuff, famously, to Sinead Boucher last year. NZ Me was actually demerged from APN uh, several years ago. And the spin-off isn't a blog. It's a media company with more than 40 employees. So who wrote this paper? Uh, it was by the Canterbury University professor Linda-Jean Connex. It's also got a bunch of sort of slightly weird assertions in it. It says New Zealanders, this is, it's positing the possible reason for why New Zealand has a dearth. This is its central claim New Zealand has a dearth of independent media. It says New Zealanders don't talk about politics in public and that there's a, a lack of divisiveness uh, that so far exists in New Zealand. So, that, of A course. A lack
0: of divisiveness.
1: Yeah, I don't know if anyone has been on the internet recently, but it does appear that there is still some divisiveness out there. Uh, it would be news to probably the thousands of students who marched in support of. Uh, addressing climate change uh, more stringently or to the tractor-driving farmers who we recently saw in our streets uh, protesting against the rules curbing their pollution. Uh, So, I mean, the most important thing is that that central premise, there's not very much independent media in New Zealand, especially considering our position as one of the best countries in the world for press freedom. This is what it's arguing. That's at best contested, at, at worst... Just completely false. So uh, the 2020 AUT Journalism, Media and Democracy report says that actually we have more independent outlets, media outlets, than ever before at the moment. So just think about it, though. Since the shutdown of Bauer last year, a whole bunch of those magazines have been uh, hoovered up by independent publications, and then you have also publications like NZ Geographic, uh, you know, Metro, Newsroom, Business Desk, Mountain scene, crops media down south. There's more, there's actually more independent media than ever before.
0: So, Linda Jean Kennox is a Canterbury University professor. So, why would she have got it so wrong?
1: Yeah, it seems that potentially there's a little bit of poor editing going on here. It seems that parts of the paper were reprinted from one of her earlier papers from 2011 that would explain, for instance, the references to. Fairfax, AP and that kind of thing. Uh, but the paper does quote other reports from 2020, so it's been updated in recent memory, which means there was at least a chance for some much-needed revisions.
0: Well, as I said, she's an academic, so really accuracy is what's at stake here, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they're quite particular about accuracy, those academics, so you know, most, I'm not sure that the view count on this report is going to be too high. It's not going to break traffic barriers for the internet or anything like that. But uh, the Oxford research encyclopedias is pretty reputable by all accounts. And the stuff that gets published there is liable to be cited in other academic papers. And if this one's wrong, there's real concern that it could be a bit of a chain reaction and that it could make other reports that cite it wrong as well. So that's the concern there. I've, Reached out to Linda Jean Connects and asked about this. Haven't got a response yet, but you know I'll keep I'll keep tabs on it, uh, and it remains to be seen whether the report will get some. Uh, it appears much needed corrections.
0: Well, that may happen after this. Potentially. I, d- I doubt whether many people would be bringing that to light.
1: No, no. It was actually, and I, I have to credit her, it was Beck Stevenson from uh, Business Desk that actually highlighted this one. It wasn't me browsing the internet for independent media <laughs> reports on a Friday night.
0: Right. It's that time of the year uh, when people tend to jump ship. Uh, Edge Breakfast Show host Dom Harvey, he's finally grown up or grown
1: out of the Edge audience? That's right. Dom Harvey announced that he's leaving the Edge's morning show after 21 years. Uh, this morning, this is what he had to say on radio this morning. I always thought I'd know when, um, when um, the right time to leave is. But you know, cause I, I saw this with JJ. She was on the show for many years and she got to the point she was over it. She'd had enough. Um, but I've never reached that point. I love the station and the people that, that work here so much. Um, so I've just realised it's one of those things. It's like a like a breakup, you know, and you just have to have to do it. He's never
0: reached that point. Sounds like he might have been dumped.
1: Yeah, well, that's maybe the speculation that's out there. That's him announcing he's going off air. Uh, He went on to talk about, I mean, he did give some reasons. He talked about a series of personal challenges in recent years, some mental health struggles. He talked about his desire to achieve some fitness goals. He's an ultramarathon runner uh, while he's still sort of young enough to do it. Uh, He also alluded to long-term, ongoing negotiations with MediaWorks bosses over his exit. So here's that part of the announcement. This may be a surprise uh, for some others, but for for me and for you guys and um, the management here, it's been ongoing conversations that I've been having for the last couple of years. Um, And we were sort of working towards... The end of this year, um, but the timing just feels right now, because um, at the end of the year, Meg's going to be going away on maternity leave, so it gives us half a year to find someone else to uh, work with you guys, Meg and Randall, and um, establish a a new show. Who's Meg? makes his co-host. Oh right okay. <laughs> yeah
0: quite a quite a sudden
1: departure, but that's not unusual for MediaWorks, or, or in fact any media outlet really it is pretty sudden, so it's Wednesday today he's announcing it, and he's going on Friday, so you've got a two day lead in there uh, you know maybe you say that it's not it's not unusual but you might it's not always this way you might remember um. Yeah, more FM host Simon Barnett, they once announced that he had been moving to Newstalk ZB in 545 days. Oh, that's so right, yeah. Some people do get a longer lead-in than two days. Uh, so he says there's been ongoing negotiations, but it is pretty abrupt. And, I mean, there's nothing to say these things are connected, nothing out there uh, at the moment, but it is worth notice- noting that his departure... Uh, does come against the backdrop of some reasonably significant upheaval and changes and reviews at MediaWorks at the moment. The most important of those is that it's in the process of finalising an independent report into its culture from Maria Dukusi, which we understand is due out soon.
0: So as you say, there's nothing to say that these things are connected. Uh, But give us a recap on his exploits in the edge seat then.
1: Yeah, I mean, just, just as a bit of an obit for Dom Harvey, he's obviously one of the company's best-known broadcasters, one of its biggest radio stars. He's also had some less-than-shining moments over the years. I mean, I'll just list a few of them. He performed a degrading rap about a female celebrity who started a relationship with a woman in 2010 and 2013. He made a really, really poor-taste joke when a contestant named Grace was eliminated from the X-Factor in Z. won't repeat it, but it alluded to a scene of child molestation involving a character also named Grace from Once Were Warriors. Uh, That same year, he accidentally texted a picture of his penis to the Paralympian Sophie Pascoe, later claiming the picture was meant for someone else. A producer also named Sophie. Uh, He helped run a competition called The Cucumber Number in 2015, where eliminated contestants from The Bachelor were asked to see how far they could shove a cucumber down their throats. And so... I mean, while this is this is I mean, this is his shtick though. It's it's a kind of it's a it's a pushing the limits sort of a style of his that he's employed. So while there's probably a lot of people who will miss him on the morning show, there's also probably quite a number who are a bit relieved at the prospect of having fear of these incidents and possibly a different type of style of humour first thing in the morning on the edge.
0: Yes, <laughs> That yes. was a long street, I'm sorry, that's quite a list. Of his exploits, yeah. no. Uh, this text says, Karen, I guess you can't be 40-something on youth radio. I
1: think, I mean, this is possibly why those negotiations have been going on for some, year, that, some years, yes.
0: Yeah that, yeah, that would have to be a key reason. Uh, you wanted to speak about media coverage of some of our uh, stranded returnees due to COVID.
1: Yeah, I've noticed a new subgenre of reporting emerging recently, where media organisations tell the stories of people trapped overseas by our COVID-19 restrictions. Fully in support of it, that's great, absolutely. But the part of the editorial decision-making process that I do find a little bit questionable on these stories is that they're apparently committed to finding only the least sympathetic people possible. So what are some of the stories? Uh, Two immediately spring to mind. On Saturday, the Herald told the story of a businessman's trip from hell. So there's Peter Goodburn, who flew to Sydney on June 22, thinking the risk of getting stuck there was low. But flights were halted from Sydney that day. And Goodburn now tells the Herald that he's disgusted with the government over the fact that he's stuck in Australia. However, I mean, as people have pointed out, the count on the Bondi cluster was at 21 when he flew. And there were five new cases of community transmission that night and seven more had been reported to health authorities but not officially included in the stats. And, I mean, travellers were told of the risks of going to Australia even when you weren't flying into the middle of a budding outbreak. So there's a little bit of difficulty that some people have found uh, working up sympathy For this man and i think also of a story in stuff which uh, was a woman complaining that her family's lives are on hold because she hasn't been able to book an miq spot to get home for the summer her family she writes likes to spend half the year in her husband's home country hungary and half the year in new zealand she prizes her kids Completely ambicultural, that's a quote, lives and uh, feels gutted at the prospect of having to miss out on at least four potential book club sessions and the chance to have coffee or organic salves outside in the Wellington summer sun. So of course some people have pointed out here that people are literally dying by their thousands and sometimes preventing more of that means sacrificing an organic salve or two you might not be able to access. Uh, Coffee outdoors in the country of your choosing during a global pandemic.
0: Mm, it's difficult though those kind of th- th- those kind of reports though because you might have asked that woman a question about what does she most love about New Zealand and then yeah. couched it so that uh, it made her sound like that. I
1: don't know, but sometimes it th- th- happens. Th- well, it was an op-ed written by her, so I mean, it oh, it was, was an just, op-ed yeah, written by it her. Was, it's just yeah. gee, okay. Uh, it, it was poorly worded, I think, because and I, especially because these guys do have a point here, like. These are deeply unsympathetic stories, obviously, but the truth is that the MIQ booking system is kind of a mess by all accounts. There's reporting that is exposing that. Uh, The journalist David Farrier wrote about how people have basically got to use bots, uh, internet just web programs to book the game to game the miq system in order to get in because it's so busy and it it books out in milliseconds he contends it's essentially impossible to book without bots um others are turning to crowdsourcing freelancers to do their uh booking so one news Kristen hall had a report on this in early july and this was a mum, Amber Caspi, who spent $170 hiring someone in Bangladesh to refresh the MIQ booking page for her. Uh, this is this is her account of how she did it.
0: I actually put out a a, a notice for if anyone would be interested in doing the mind numbing job of clicking refresh, refresh, refresh. And I had about 40 people answer the ad.
1: Gee. Yeah, and she hired one of them and that, that guy got her uh, a booking. And Today, a journalist in the States, Jess McKellen, posted a screenshot of someone trying their best to game the MIQ system or turn gaming the MIQ system into a profitable startup enterprise. And this person was offering MIQ booking assistance uh, on the freelancer site Fiverr. And they had three packages starting at $100 for a basic any date, booking 350 for a standard booking in a targeted month, and 650 for getting a booking within a specific date range. And uh, so these these are people that, have spotted just how um, unfair and difficult our MIQ system is, and they're actually making a quick buck out of it. So you think they have a point? Those who are stranded. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're actually as unsympathetic as maybe they seem in these. And I mean, there's also an ad posted on student job search today. Someone paying, offering to pay someone twenty dollars an hour to do that refreshing job. That's like just pressing refresh. It does appear that the MIQ booking system, in particular, does need changing and an overhaul there's increasing reporting on this and I mean there has been suggestions made maybe allowing people to book leaving a spot open, whenever a spot opens leave it open for five minutes, allow everyone to book and then choose one of those bookings at random, that's one thing that Sean Gawley a mathematician suggested to David Farrier, it does seem that something needs to be done
0: You wanted to make a point tonight too about uh, open letters
1: (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I do. Just I mean, uh, absolutely. The, the the letter to stuff was written in the form of an open letter to Jacinda Ardern, and somehow it wasn't even the most uh, patronising and offensive open letter. Uh, Published this week. The other one was by which
0: one was that? Which one are you talking about? That's the, le-
1: the one from the lady who wanted um, organic ads. Oh, oh the Willington. organic sab letter the, was an open he- letter to the prime it was minister. An open it was written in the form of an open letter to the prime minister. I'm sorry that I didn't I didn't highlight that to you earlier. That was part of why it's so annoying, Karen. Um, the other one, the other bad open letter this week was from the country's Jamie Mackay. It was in the Herald and opened with the immortal line: "Firstly, though, in your capacity as an accidental prime minister, due to Winston." and swims. I want to thank you on behalf of farmers. I mean, these... These letters do the format just lends itself to sounding patronizing doesn't it and they're inherently performative you're not actually addressing this le- this letter ostensibly to this person that's never going to read it doesn't know who you are and probably doesn't care it's actually all performative it's all for the audience it's kind of a grating thing about them that i find it's also just tired it's like doing an acrostic poem of someone's name for like an engagement speech or you know <laughs> it, 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 it's no good I, I I'm against it. I just want to tr- uh, write an open letter to open letters. This is my open letter to open letters. Uh, please, dear open letters, please go away forever. Yours truly me.
0: <laughs> oh well, they're obviously successful though aren't they? because you're talking about them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's done, done its job and got it's got the attention that it desired, but I, I I personally if I ever write one then you can you can retire me immediately.
0: Uh, This text says, uh, in New Zealand there are bots that automate selection. People are charging $2,800 for this service. There are also some free Chrome extensions where people have built automated refreshing for the home tech savvy user. It's very corrupt.
1: It is. It is. And this is something that David Ferry, if you go to his Webworm blog, then he's written about, I think probably that Chrome extension or something similar to that, that people are using. Basically it's scripts that people are running using the internet in order to game the MIQ system and it increasingly means that people who are just doing it the normal way, hitting refresh, are having no luck.
0: And do you want to end with highlighting some media reporting uh, by a political reporter?
1: Yeah, political reporter Mark Dalder dipping his toes toes into the murky world of media reporting uh, and he... Just analysed the coverage of the floods in the West Coast recently, and his analysis found that only 12% of the articles mentioned climate change.
0: Mm, and
1: that's obviously significant, but tell us why. Uh, mainly because climate change has been identified as a really important factor in what happened to Westport and other towns. So I mean, I'm not a great scientist, but Mark Dalda spoke to Nathaniel Melia, and he's a senior research fellow at Victoria University, and he basically said that um, the holding capacity of air increases about 7% for each degree of warming we experience. We've currently got global warming of about 1.27 degrees Celsius, so these systems, uh, when they hit, have more rain to drop. Uh, Dalda argues that just without... Including that kind of context and without mentioning uh, climate change, that does read as a disservice because uh, the the analogy that he's using here is it's like reporters spending the last 18 months uh, talking about overwhelmed hospital services, elevated death rates and business closures without talking about the key factor driving those things, COVID-19.
0: I understand, Uh, but some reporters might not feel uh, very confident uh, with their assertions about climate change and what impact climate change is having on the weather events.
1: Exactly. So this is something that Delda highlights, that maybe you're a court reporter or something and you don't really necessarily feel equipped to talk about the scientific uh, concepts uh, involving climate change in your reporting. Uh, The argument here is that if you're not doing that now you're really missing out on key context and i mean this is me editorializing as well but i think this might be a hangover from past eras where uh climate change was seen as something like subjective and a matter of opinion and r- r- you mentioned the it, cause it, of it yeah you yeah, know was reported as something that was up for debate but now it's it's not it's established science and so uh the contention is that climate change is increasingly impacting on every single topic that journalists cover, uh, whether it's business or local government or health. And so, everyone, no matter what they cover and what they specialize in, needs to get their heads around the basics of it so that they can incorporate it into their reporting and then give readers an actual full picture. Of what's taking place.
0: Right, so, so Mark Dalder is saying that if you're reporting on the buller floods uh, to mention the reason for the buller floods. Or at
1: least the reason that the buller floods are worse than they might have been previously. Ah. That, that, that's, that's really the key context there and the reason why these floods are going to get worse in future unless we actually do something about climate change. Which...
0: Do you think there's any directive in newsrooms around the country to do that?
1: Well, I, there are definitely... I mean, newsrooms are hard to totally marshal, I guess. Or generalise, yeah. Yeah, there there isn't stuff, I think. There is real commitment to climate change coverage there. Their editor has called it the biggest story in the world, and they have a dedicated climate change section. I think that that's probably something that we should all be emulating. This is just me speaking off the top of my head here, but...
0: And Gary's text is say, when is the media going to stop convincing everyone that the world's going to end because of climate change?
1: Uh, well, probably when it does end and we're all dead because of climate change. That's probably what reporters feel they're up against. I mean, that's a bit flippant. That's a bit flippant. It maybe won't. Yeah, exactly. Happen that way, but that is what reporters are up against. Because I mean, we're reporting. It's not. It's not subjective. It's not something that is. Uh, you know, you have to quote a climate change denier and a, someone that believes in it. This is a. This is established scientific fact. It's really happening right now, and so we should really get our heads around it.
0: Hayden, thank you very much for another midweek media watch. Thanks for coming into the studio tonight. I'll we'll hey, Let you head off home now.
1: Thanks for having me, Karen.
0: That's Hayden Dunnell with midweek media watch.